This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Happy, happy Friday. This is Let's Go There with Cheer and Ryan, where we catch you up on the news of the day, pop culture, our crazy lives, and so much more, with fun music in between here on Channel Q. We sure do, and we have a good damn time doing it. We do. I must say, it was a journey getting here to the show today. Let's talk uh, about it, because yeah. I know we're going to. <laughs> um, I just got my second vaccine. Great. Congrats. Had to wait. Had to wait a bunch longer than I thought. That's why they should just give you the day off. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, it's hard. Can it's you hard. not take a video? It is. It's difficult because people take breaks from their lunch. Yeah. Right? For like, sure. I was with a bunch of people in line. We're all taking breaks from our lunch and they're, we were stuck because they ran out of vaccines. Oh, that sucks. What'd you get? The Pfizer. Oh, Pfizer has been busy out here in these streets. Oh, yeah. You know, you should have got Moderna. You would have got there quicker. Moderna has. One and done. Yeah, Moderna has um, some availability. Yeah, I would have said, yeah, Moderna has one night stand energy. <laughs> Even though that's, it's more Johnson that's what you Johnson. Got. You oh, know, yeah. Johnson Johnson has definitely. more like the one night stand. Moderna, you got to come back. But at least it's like sensual. Oh. It may have been a little, a little rough and tough because your arm is sore. Pfizer makes you fight for it. Yeah. I mean, clearly. You well, came out of it. I got here, breath. though. I got here, though. It was a workout, but I'm happy to be here today. And coming up, Caitlyn Jenner. It's official. She's entered the California governor race as a Republican. We're going to be talking more about that. Plus, it's Glisten Day of Silence, a national student-led demonstration where LGBTQ students and allies all around the country come together. So we're going to be also sharing more about that later in the show at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. U.S. missions overseas can once again fly the LGBT pride flag on their official flagpoles. That's according to an internal State Department cable obtained by ABC News. The policy announced by Secretary of State Antony Blinken repeals his predecessor Mike Pompeo's ban on pride flags or others from flying at U.S. embassies and consulates. This is exciting. They get blanket written authorization to display the pride flag on the flagpole for the duration of the 2021 pride season. Or Love it. why not just always showcase all the flags? True, you should. Yeah, pride season's 365. I mean, I hope someone I hope they turn the White House rainbow color again though. Oh yeah. Kind of it's coming that. back. We'll see. We don't know for sure. Hope. 
Yeah. I have faith. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, yeah, we're talking a lot about Caitlyn Jenner today, so just buckle up. Um, because the news took everyone by surprise. And, of course, they spoke about it on The View. Um, but Joy Behar did a big no-no. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. Joy Behar misgendered Caitlyn Jenner on The View uh, today, calling her um, the opposite of her pronouns oh. during a conversation about, you know, obviously the big news. Uh, now, it happened about four times during really? the segment, um, but she did, after commercial break, apologize. And here's what she had to say. So, first of all, let me apologize for my pronoun mix-up. I, I think I just didn't get enough sleep last night. I had no intention of uh, mixing them up, but and I tried to correct it immediately, but whatever, it just came out. So I'm sorry if anybody was upset by that. I mean, not the best apology, um, but an insider ha- is saying, um, and they were talking to Page Six, that there was no malice behind her phrasing and said it was an honest mistake. They said um, they said that this was not a political art or, or her taking a dig. She didn't say it pointedly. She kept making the mistake. She corrected herself and then accidentally did it again. Uh, she was not being ma- uh, malicious by any means um, and pointed, I guess the source also pointed out that she's an advocate who has been honored by LGBTQ plus groups like Galad. But here's the thing, Joy. You should have been more prepped for this. That's a big thing. When you have, I mean, even with our guests, we ask them their pronouns before yeah. coming on. It's a, it's a big no-no. And, and, but that also goes back to the producer. It's her, but the producers need to start doing that as well, which I know we do it, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of shows don't do that. They don't do it, and that's why there's organizations like GLAAD uh, out there educating folks. But, yeah, it was a big no-no, but that's your team report. I got more coming up next Hour. Well, uh, yeah, we said that we're going to be talking about Caitlyn a lot. Her entering politics has definitely been receiving mixed reviews, and Equity California did not hold back. They join us next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Caitlyn Jenner's announcement that she's running as a Republican for governor of California has gotten a lot of mixed reactions. Samuel Garrett Pate joins us, communications director for Equality California. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, what did you think about this announcement? Do you think she actually has a chance since people do want to recall Gavin Newsom? Well, so I want to be really clear um, about how the recall process works. So before anyone uh, has a chance at becoming or succeeding or replacing um, Governor Newsom, a majority of people who vote in the recall election, which will be later this year, probably sometime in November, um, a majority would have to vote to recall the governor, right? So it's less about whether I think she has a chance. It's more about I don't think that the recall has a chance. Um, the California has the lowest threshold uh, in, of any state in the country. Not every state even has a process for recalling a governor. But of the states that do, California has the lowest threshold to even get on the ballot. Um, you know, they needed a, just a tiny percentage of California's 40 million people uh, to say, yes, I want to recall the governor in order to tr- trigger the election. We know that as, um, you know, people have gotten vaccinated, kids have gotten back in school, businesses are reopening in California, um, the governor's popularity numbers have gone up Um And what's unfortunate about this recall is it's going to cost the state $100 million. Um, But essentially, voters will have 
an opportunity to vote on two questions if the recall does in fact qualify. Uh, they'll, they'll vote first whether they want to vote uh, to recall Governor Newsom. Um, and then they'll vote for if the recall passes, who would they like to replace Governor Newsom? Right. I don't think that the recall itself will pass, and therefore I don't think that question two will matter. Yeah, I, I think this whole entire recall is just Republican political theater, to be quite honest. Um, but Absolutely. I, I think Caitlyn Jenner's big issue is trying to figure out who the Caitlyn Jenner voter is. Who do you think that is? Who was she appealing to? Well, I've been shocked by how many uh, MAGA trolls on Twitter are all of a sudden so supportive of transgender representation. Um, You know, I mean, it's just wild. Look, we absolutely, I want to be really clear here. Equality California absolutely cannot wait for the day when we get to elect a transgender governor of, of this state, right? We are the largest, most populous state in the country. We have the largest LGBTQ population in the country. We have the largest transgender population in the country. We want to elect a transgender governor of California, but we don't want it to be Caitlyn Jenner. For years, Caitlyn Jenner told the LGBTQ community to trust Donald Trump. And we saw how that turned out, right? His administration relentlessly attacked us, relentlessly attacked the trans community in particular. Um, And now Caitlyn wants us to trust her. Yeah, we're not buying it. Yeah, what is she missing here? I mean, it's obviously her brain. That's what she's missing. She went against Donald Trump in the end after all of that. I guess we're not surprised that she ended up running as a Republican. I mean, I I guess she went after him. She also then (laughs) just hired his. She hired his campaign manager to run her campaign. She hired a fundraiser who had who was involved in the insurrection on January 6th. I mean, the people who she's surrounding herself certainly don't suggest surrounding herself with certainly don't suggest that she's in any way distancing herself from Donald Trump. In fact, it sure looks like she's trying to run the same playbook that he did. I mean, she literally hired Brad Parscale, who was campaign manager until he was exposed as a grifter and then Trump fired him. Um, She hired him to run her campaign. Yeah, Samuel, I, I think the interesting thing is if she wanted, if she wants to run, cool. But most of the times, and correct me if I'm wrong here, when someone announces their run on their website, don't they normally kind of have their platform detailed? All is on her website is basically the shop for merchandise and donating. <laughs> Look, I, I think that's more of an indicator. I, I think it's less about what's on her website, um, more that her web, the, the lack of any sort of policy platform on her website is because none of the people running in the recall, not just Caitlin, but not one of the people supporting this recall, Caitlin included, can point to a solution to any of the problems we face as a state, right? Not one of them. Gavin Newsom has been working, has been boldly leading our state through an unprecedented series of crises. We had devastating wildfires. We had a national economic downturn. We had the worst pandemic in 100 years. They're all very, very quick to identify problems that they want fixed. But none of them have solutions. She has not offered solutions because she is not qualified to lead a state of 40 million people, the fifth largest economy in the world. It's not going to happen. She shouldn't be governor. I think she's a great person. You know, she's she's done great things for transgender representation in sports. She's done great things for transgender representation in media. and, And she should be applauded for that. But especially at a time as state legislatures all over this country have been attacking trans kids, 
The fact that she has been silent on that and trained all of her anger and frustration on Governor Newsom, who has signed groundbreaking legislation to support the trans community, I think just tells us everything we need to know about what kind of governor she'd be. Yeah. Do you think this will ruin her brand in the long run? We have 30 more seconds. Look, I, I think it's really, I think it's unfortunate. Um, she's had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to educate herself about what um, trans people who don't have the level of privilege that she does go through. Um, and she seems to turn it down at every time. And this, I, I want to be really, really, really clear. This recall is dangerous for transgender Californians. Hmm. Regardless of whether we elect her or someone else, yeah. Gavin Newsom has been a champion for the community. The people running would not be. Well, thank you. That was Samuel Garrett, Pay Communications Director for Equality California. Hope to have you back. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Coming up on the show, a Capital Rioter just got turned in by someone from a dating app. Watch out. That story next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We haven't really talked about the Capital Rioters lately. And the Justice Department has just charged one of them who was turned in by someone that he matched with on the dating app Bumble. How about that? We've heard about people turning folks in like their parents and everything or people that posted on social media and TikTok and everything. But this guy bragged about it on the dating app on January 6th. He was trying to get some action right after. I mean, insurrectionists need love, too. Of course. Uh, He said... So this person that matched with him on Bumble said, um, you know, I stormed the Capitol, made it all the way into the Statuary Hall as if that was going to be like a turn on. So this person said, we are not a match. And then ended up bringing all of this to the FBI. Which, stand that person. I mean, uh, absolutely incredible. You got to do the work. You see something, say something. This person deserves... A f- golden rule. Yeah, this person deserves a free membership to Bumble for the rest of their life. Yeah, actually, because Bumble is hella expensive. You got to pay for all the damn new functions just to see who viewed you, to read the right? messages, to get unlimited swipes. Yeah, this this person is doing the Lord's work. I mean, if Bumble was smart. Or at least the work of the FBI. Right. I mean, this better. person is a hero. She deserves a free subscription to Bumble. We should start a change.org for Wait, this do we person. know if she's a she? Uh, no, I, for some reason that was an assumption because, um, it's a, because only a straight men would, would do an insurrection. Yeah. I'm sorry. For sure. It is an assumption. I agree. Though. It's I, an I, assumption. I am agreeing. <laughs> so according to screenshots in these court filings, he also posted it to Facebook, uh, that he was traveling to the, uh, traveling to the district of criminality, referring to Washington, DC. And on the day of the attack, he posted, I'm effing inside the Capitol." So. This is cute, you know, that he got turned in by an app. But more than 390 people have been charged with federal crimes in connection with the attack. But according to court records, like, one, he just got let out. He was released right after he was arrested. And most Capitol riot defendants who aren't charged with violent crimes have been released from jail before trial. So we've, like, like, forgotten about it. This is reminding me of, like, anytime I'm, like, on an app or something, you see someone who's, like, publicly saying that they're, like, a Republican on the app. And it's just, like... I understand. I'm all for people having their own political views. But, like, when you're, like, on an app that is meant for dating or whatever and you're publicly, it's in your bio and you're just, like, trying to be, like, you know, shock value to it. It's just, like, gross. Like, get over it. It just reminds me of that. Like, 
It's a huge. Should, can I say boner killer? I think I it's can. a co- it's a. I, what oh, were you God, about well, to say? Ah, uh, parlor. You this just is like think a. About it. <laughs> this is like um. You know, parlor should just start a dating app if they were smart. I think they already are. That's. I mean, races need other races to figure like find love. I'm. I am really. An underground Cupid. I want everyone to get some and find love. And hopefully this person finds love in prison. But here's the thing. I just said he was released along with all of the others. You never know. He'll do something else stupid. This is not the last we're going to see. This is this not guy. the last. Are you kidding me? Anyone who goes on Bumble and tells them that they literally did it is not the smartest bunch so in the group. Here's the thing. This guy maybe will have learned his lesson. He's like, I'm not going to put it out there just yet. But he'll be like, so what do you think about what happened at the Capitol riots? Would you be into it if you knew someone who did that? I mean, maybe it's someone's kink to be a terrorist. <laughs> Are you going to storm into my building? Okay, let us know what you think about this at LGT Shows where you can find us on social media. Ooh, this next one, you're definitely going to have an opinion about. A Disney fan wrote this opinion piece that's going viral. Is wokeness really ruining Disney? We debate that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. <laughs> so a Disney World fan wrote this opinion piece for the Orlando Sentinel discussing how wokeness is forcing him and his family to reconsider their commitment to the theme park. And as you can imagine, this got a lot of reactions on social media. People just dragging this guy for good reason. I'm surprised this publisher even decided to publish it. Who published it? Orlando Sentinel. Oh, okay. Well, sounds like a big, like... Yeah, it's it's a newspaper. It's like their, it's like our, it's, they're LA Times. Oh, okay. Well, that just feels even worse. Yeah, the fact that they gave him a platform to basically just share racist stuff, saying, like, I don't like the changes because you're, you know, basically allowing people to feel seen and heard and represented, and you're taking away old racist tropes. This guy doesn't feel comfortable with all of that. He wants Disney to be the way it was in the old days, right? Because Disney has made a lot of new changes. They revamped their Jungle Cruise and Splash Mountain to remove racist elements. He said that Jungle Cruise's traitor Sam is not a representation of reality and is meant as funny and a silly caricature. You know, Disney people are so weird. I, I feel like I constantly say every time we co- we cover a Disney story, like Disney adults for sure are just weird humans. Like those, the reason, the fact that you have such ties to a history that you know is problematic, but you feel like if they change it, it takes away your entertainment value. Why are you entertained by problematic things? Why are you entertained by, like, basically the racist past that Disney has played into at one point? I mean, there's people are literally dying. Are we really, Orlando Sentinel, are you really caring about this, this man and his weird, you know, Disney fetish? It's almost like if an editor is going to approve this, and... and- you know, you, opinion pieces are meant to be that. They're yeah, not they're not like journalism. But the fact is, if they posted this knowing when it would get attention and there's someone there that was like, yeah, this deserves to be put out there because this is real. Why does Disney keep making these changes? This guy thinks that their business decisions are now politically motivated and he feels like he, he feels excluded and it. And he says they'll lose Disney business from customers that have been very loyal. Does Disney really want those loyal customers? I mean, they want a lot of customers, but in the end, 
do they want the ones that are going to be against their decisions to basically do things that are right? I mean, I don't want to ride the Dumbo ride next to a racist. It just takes away the fantasy. Takes away the fun. Yeah. You know, and a, a lot of fun tweets around this one. Uh, someone said, this guy, damn you, Willis. Help, I need the sex slavery back at Disney World. My family is dying. I don't get that. Uh, well, he, I don't get the joke. Yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, because they changed the Pirates of the Caribbean thing. Oh, uh, okay. They renovated over the I've years. Ne- yeah, I've never went to. I never went on that ride. I don't think. Uh, another person said, "What I'm hearing is that Disney World will be much more enjoyable because people like this won't be there." <laughs> well, yes, for sure. It's just it's like, what's the point of even this article? And to be honest, this guy seems like he has way more issues than to worry about a Disney ride. You think? Oh, yeah. He stresses. This is the thing that's stressing like this guy out. He has a pretty virgin. good life as if this is the only thing that's stressing him out. Does he? Seems like that his life is just, I mean, in the trash can, in my opinion. If you're writing about this and you're obsessing over Disney, it doesn't seem like you have much of a life. Well, I mean, Which, it could be worse. It That is worse. That feels very at the bottom of hell. Like, the bar is on the floor. Well, I hope this person found some peace in sharing this with the world because it gave us all a headache. Yeah, I just, I I wish and I would love for news outlets to think about, even if they are opinion pieces, because oftentimes opinion pieces are in some way form of journalism because you have to still have some sort of facts aligned with your opinion. You can't just make it like uh, this. It's kind of like a debate, right? You can't just say whatever and then not have kind of a fact to back it up. Now, it could be a false fact. Now, that's very true. Um, But I think in these cases, especially when it comes to um, a publisher, they need to be more diligent about the people they're allowed. Yeah, also then you're there. saying like this guy deserves a, a platform. His voice should be heard. He's being marginalized. Let us know what you think about this uh Disney post. Do you think uh Disney is becoming too woke? Will they lose their customers? Does it matter? At LGT shows. Don't even please don't DM us with the answer to that question. I cause we will not read it. I won't. I'll delete it. I have access to the account. If you answer that question, I'm deleting it and blocking you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't care. Who cares if Disney's being too woke? Are you kidding me? No. Well, no maybe the other that. people will align with what you think. Nope. I want. I want that. I'm blocking everyone. I want to know. If you answer that question, I'm blocking think everyone. About this op-ed. <laughs> wow. Friday. Friday. You answer it. Coming up on the show, another anti-trans bill vetoed by a Republican governor. More details next on what's trending this hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show this hour, Glisten's Day of Silence is today for LGBTQ youth. We're going to be telling you how you can get involved. And this is exciting. David Cooley, the owner and founder of The Abbey, joins us at 425 p.m. Pacific, 725 p.m. Eastern. As we know, there are so many gay bars that have had to close during the pandemic. They have fought to stay alive, so I'm so excited to celebrate that with him and talk about what they have coming up at the Abbey, the world-famous Abbey. Yeah, we've been to uh, his house, too, by the way, to see Kamala Harris when she was running for president, right, Uh, when she was campaigning. We didn't get the picture, though. I mean, I didn't need the picture. I wanted one. I I paid for a picture. I paid to get a picture. Oh, yeah, you did. I remember. I paid for you, too. You sure did, because I wasn't. (laughs) 
But I mean, he, he's, <laughs> you know, that type of money, but he's well off, to be quite honest. In a so nice the Abbey's was always going to be good. Good for him. Well, you never know. <laughs> right now, let's get into so much trending this hour. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, shared whether the Senate should remove the filibuster. And brought in Mitch McConnell into it. Okay, we, we might not. Oh, there that, we go. That Mitch McConnell is still the problem. It's not as if it was Mitch McConnell. Now it's somebody. Else. No, Mitch McConnell is still the problem. And uh, the, uh, I don't get involved in any discussion on Senate rules. You know that. And I don't welcome any discussion from them on House rules. However, uh, I do think we have discussion on issues and how they, uh, the American, the needs of the American people are met. Yeah, because if they remove the filibuster, it works for the Democrats if they own the Senate. They don't. Works for the Republicans. That's how it goes. I mean, also, the filibuster is a Jim Crow relic. So, yeah, it, sh- it should be uh, bipartisan. <laughs> yeah. They should both, they should see that. It's not about voting, Republican or Democrat. Sorry. But unfortunately. <laughs> it's just funny. Your face, your face made me laugh. I'm happy. Sorry that you can't see my face right now. At least I'm, I'm bringing some humor to this. You know, horrible situation of this filibuster still being in existence. And finally, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey vetoed a controversial bill that would have banned teachers from talking about LGBTQ people or HIV without getting parental permission. He said, like many of the other governors who are vetoing these bills, the language of the bill is overly broad and vague and could lead to serious consequences. Once again, you think? And he said that the bill would impede important child abuse prevention education. Instead, they are requiring schools to post their sex ed curriculum online and also provides two weeks notice of all school board meetings that will discuss sex ed. That was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? You know, Cardi B is so over Republicans still talking about her whole Grammys performance, and uh, she is still calling them out. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So uh, Wisconsin's Glenn Grothman had this to say yesterday. I received complaints in my office, and rightfully so, about Cardi B and the Grammys. They wonder why we are paying the FCC if they feel that this should be in living rooms across the nation. I realize that Kamala Harris has used her fame to promote this performer, but I assure the FCC that millions of Americans would view her performance as inconsistent with basic decency. Wake up, FCC, and begin to do your job. The moral decline of America is partly due to your utter complacency. How about you wake up and pronounce Kamala Harris's name right? I'm so over people um, mispronouncing. We had a guest yesterday who mispronounced it, and I almost said something. There was recently I I almost said something, and I was just like, "Mm, I'm not going to ruin it. They're in their vibes right now. But Cardi B uh, basically saw this clip and immediately reacted saying this. She said, this gets me so mad. You don't even know. I think we've been all on edge this week since we've uh, we've seen police brutality back to back, including watching one of the biggest cases in history go down due to police brutality but wait this is what state representative decided to talk about you know her problem with his criticism is of course he spent this time talking about cardi b and her her wap performance and throwing shots at kamala harris instead of talking about the big thing that's on everyone's mind and it's just like 
what is actually happening here? What are state representatives even looking for or even trying to bring to the attention, especially Republicans? Like, just makes no sense. And she's always there to call them out. And that is your T-Report, and I'm obsessed with her as usual. But before we go, I have a little something, something to tell you. Las Vegas is open for business. And Channel Q is giving you the chance to get down to business poolside with, what's his name? Tiesto. Tiesto. Who is he? Is he a DJ? Yeah. Okay, I've never heard of Tiesto. Um, Well, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com for your chance to win a trip to Las Vegas, including round trip airfare for two and an epic two-night stay at the all-new Resorts World Las Vegas. Plus, honey, we're throwing in two VIP passes to catch some Vegas sun, poolside, and catch Tiesto set at Ayu Day Club? What? Who is that? Whatever, it's at the Resorts World Las Vegas. But it's a really cool opportunity, and it, it could be you and your girls' first trip out of the quarantine. I mean, have some fun. Las Vegas is clearly saying, as long as you got a mask, you're good with us. We're open for business. Yeah. We, uh, I'm heading to Las Vegas for a night. That's exciting. It's really expensive, so this is a good deal. It most definitely is. Well, coming up on the show, as colleges reopen, is it legal for them to require a COVID-19 vaccine? Those answers with Vice next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As colleges look to open up, there are many, around 40, that are requiring students to show proof of a COVID-19 vaccine. Hannah Smothers joins us right now, senior staff writer on the Life Desk at Vice, who wrote about this. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So some governors we know, like Texas and even Florida, have banned institutions from mandating the COVID-19 vaccine. So how are schools dealing with this? Yeah, so I think the Texas example is a good one. Uh, what happened there is St. Edwards, which is a small private school in Austin, a little under 4,000 students, issued a vaccine mandate in late March. And within a week, Governor Abbott, uh, Republican governor of Texas, had issued an executive order saying that basically any organization in the state that receives government funding in any form cannot make vaccines a requirement. The executive order he issued hinges on the fact that right now the vaccines only have emergency use authorization by the FDA. Um, So what St. Edwards did in response is highlighted an existing clause in their mandate, which is basically saying that if you don't provide proof of vaccination, we're not going to punish you for that, but you may be subject to more testing. Like they're going to keep regularly testing students who do not provide that proof. And of course, those students won't be able to participate in things like certain study abroad programs. So I think that's one way we're going to see schools go about this. Um, other schools are are doing similar things where they're saying, if you haven't gotten your, haven't provided proof of vaccination, we have, you have to keep wearing masks um, and vaccinated students may not be held to that requirement. Um, so I think, you know, a couple of things could happen. The vaccines right. could gain regular approval, which would make executive orders like the one in Texas null. Um, or schools could go ahead and chance lawsuits. Uh, and it's not really clear how such lawsuits would play out. Well, my thing is, how why is this not being treated the same way that, um, you know, kind of like bacterial meningitis vaccines are kind of mandated when it comes to going to schools. It it feels like this could just be lumped into this. Right. And I think so, too. And I spoke with a 
uh, a, a higher ed lawyer in Boston, a guy named Jeffrey Nolan, who thinks that the basically what's happening is because it only has emergency youth authorization and the you know meningitis vaccine has regular approval, they're saying, well, we can't mandate something that doesn't have regular approval. The lawyer I spoke to seems to believe that's not the case. And we could, you know, under the circumstances, make the COVID vaccine just as required as the meningitis vaccine. Um, and I'm sure there are students who decline to receive those vaccines. But, you know, I don't know what they do about their college decisions. Yeah. And it seems like from your research and writing this, did you hear about students? Are they happy with this or unhappy with this? Um, students they say online that they're certainly relieved when they hear that schools have issued a vaccine mandate. Because students ultimately bore the brunt of this last fall and last spring, uh, or right now, really, they're still dealing with it. When outbreaks happen on campus, it's students who are separated out from their peers and put into special living situations, and they have to, you know, miss you know, their studies are put at risk. So a lot of them are expressing relief. There's a small number who are saying, you know, you can't make me get this vaccine, but I imagine, you know, that's that that's going to happen regardless. Well, yeah, because I was wondering, how, how are schools going to make sure that unvaccinated students and vaccinated students aren't treated differently? Yeah, I don't really know. I think, and it's, and it's, my understanding is that they may actually be treated differently. I mean, if unvaccinated students are subject to regular testing and those who are vaccinated are not, I would, if I were a student, I would certainly look at, you know, the trouble of getting vaccinated as way less bothersome than getting regularly swabbed. Uh, that would be, you know, an easy decision for me. But um, yeah, I think, I think in terms of their academics, they'll be treated the same, but there will be things like testing, masking, uh, what they are and, not, and are not allowed to participate in, where they, they may very well be treated differently. Yeah, do you think how we're approaching this as schools will be how we possibly approach this at places we work or other spaces and communities we're in? Yeah, I, I think, you know, in states like Texas and Florida, the governors are going to do what they can to make vaccine passports uh, not a thing. Um, the Texas order... Uh, I don't know that it applies to private businesses. I think those are able to operate as they please, but it, it makes it very hard for any kind of public space or any kind of uh, any. Basically, if you're receiving government aid at all, um, you cannot require your employees or your students or customers of any kind to be vaccinated. Um, I think I think, you know, in certain states, they'll do what they can to make it hard for employers to mandate that. Uh, and in other states, we'll see that it's quite easy. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. That was Hannah Smothers, senior staff writer on the Life Desk at Vice. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much. You too. Coming up on the show, what is GLSEN's Day of Silence today? And how is it supporting LGBTQ plus youth? The organization joins us to share more next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. GLSEN's Day of Silence is today. It's a national student-led demonstration where LGBTQ plus students and allies all around the country and even the world take a vow of silence to protest the harmful effects of harassment and discrimination of LGBTQ people in schools. Joining us to share more is GLSEN's Youth Programs Manager, A.T. Ruya, who's leading Day of Silence. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what's the history behind this day? Because it started in the mid-90s. Yeah, it started by uh, some college students who uh, just were like, there's no curriculum representation. We're being pushed out. 
Um, and so when they graduated college, they wanted to make sure that the event carried on. So they worked with Glisten to then, um, yeah, move it into the, our organization. So we've had it since um, the late 1990s, early 2000s. Yeah, and I wonder, because everything has really just pivoted with, you know, the pandemic. And last year, I know you do it yearly. How were you able to do it last year and this year? Yeah, it has been a struggle, um, you know, thinking of the needs of LGBTQ plus youth and the pandemic. Um, Last year, we were totally virtual. At the time, we thought, oh, the pandemic will be going on through, you know, we'll probably be back by uh, fall. So this year, we'll just do it all virtual. And then um, the pandemic and schools being in person and virtual continued. So then this year, we decided to have both in-person and virtual resources. So normally, um, pre-pandemic, it was only in-person resources. And then um, now we're kind of in this hybrid phase of some students go to school part-time and they're at home part-time. Some are only still virtual. Um, And then actually a majority of students are starting to go back in person. So um, we just decided to create both virtual and and in-person resources for students and educators. Yeah, that's so important. Uh, And this work, though, deserves to happen year round, obviously. Uh, But and so how is Glisten continuing the Day of Silence year round? Um, Well, we we actually have other programs. Um, The Day of Silence is our traditional uh, year event. And um, it's actually also uh, um, an introduction to organizing and activism for many LGBTQ plus young people and allies. So um, it's a pretty important event for us to really think about how do we introduce um, this type of activism and organizing and then help them think about uh, what this means beyond Day of Silence. Mm -hmm. And so we have our, um, in the fall, we have the um, Solidarity Week. Um, Next year, we're introducing a new program for elementary school kids. Um, and, And then throughout the year, we just have a lot of events to support GSAs because um, for many LGBTQ plus students that can't go to a center, for example, or youth drop in, um, their GSAs are really kind of like their own um, center at their school where students go for support, they go to connect, they go to have fun, they go to to create change. So um, the other big piece to Glisten's work is supporting GSAs and supporting educators with inclusive curriculum. Yes. And I feel like today's day of silence is more important than ever because there's so much anti-trans legislation Mm -hmm. and so many attacks happening to, you know, trans youth. How were you all able to kind of implement a lot of that? Because I think that goes into the education process of this, right? Like, and also just making sure these kids feel loved and seen. Yeah. Um, So I used to be a track and field coach for 10 years in San Diego, and um, I'm also trans. And um, the bills that have been coming out are, are just, like, it's disgusting. They're, they're truly um, violating people's bodies. Um, it's, and these are kids. So, like, these attacks on kids, um, I think, is, is being misconstrued with this, like, idea of what professional sports is. And it's like, these kids want to just get together and, and be a part of a community. Um, so it's really bizarre how, um, you know, politicians and... Um, and like the political aspect of it has really just thrown these kids into this like tornado of, um, of attack. 
And so um, our support, what's really amazing is we have chapters um, all across the country. And for example, in Tennessee, um, you know, we just, the some of the bills just passed that are targeting trans youth. But um, our chapter network has set up like phone banking, and these are by students. The students are creating their own like phone banking, call, um, getting folks to call elected officials. <laughs> Excuse me. And in one of the calls, um, I think we, we made like a thousand phone calls. Um, in one week. So uh, students, it's like they shouldn't have to be fighting for their right to exist, yet here they are. And so the call for adults to work in in solidarity and to show up for educators and students is is really important right now um, because we're not done. Legislative session is still happening. So we've got to really figure out now for these states that are passing these bills, how can we still support students um, despite despite the rights being taken away. Definitely. Well, this day of silence is so important, as you mentioned. It ends with breaking the silence rallies, events to share experiences during the protests and bring attention to ways schools and communities can become more inclusive. Thank you so much for your work and bringing this to our attention. Yeah, uh, thank you. And if folks can tune in, um, our Breaking the Silence rally tonight is at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll have Jojo Siwa um, alone oh, hey. and um, Zachary Quinto along with our uh, students. So um, we'll be on our YouTube, Glisten's YouTube channel. Amazing. Well, that was yeah. Glisten's Youth Programs Manager, A.T. Ferruya. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us. Coming up, a brand's reverse selfie video is proving the impact of digital distortion on social media. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, the brand Dove and Lizzo Superstar uh, are raising awareness around an important important issue, sorry, digital distortion. They announced the launch of the company's global The Selfie Talk campaign, which has kicked off with an aim to transform social media into, thankfully, a more positive and empowering place for the next generation. And here's Lizzo sharing her own struggles with herself on social. I remember waking up and wanting to be someone else, change my body, change my eye color, my hair texture. I didn't have filters. It scares me to think that now there is a tool that actually cashes in on that insecurity. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of tools. but uh, Well, I, I use some of them I have in the past more so than now. I like my best friend. I don't see anything wrong with those tools. Well, yeah, it brings up a big discussion of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I think for me, um, I you know, I don't do too much with those tools, but I do like them and I I I do see how they can really um for anyone who's kind of subjected to the craziness and just the unrealistic kind of beauty standards, I can see how that can affect people. So I don't wanna like you know I don't know, I don't wanna I don't want that to feel like that's not a real thing that's going on, a real issue. Um, but I also think people can use them if they want to. It's their, it's, it's, it's your body, it's your photo, it's your choice how you want to look, in my opinion. And I think um, it's really not, I often wonder, sometimes I'm like, it's really not a celebrity's, like, it's it's not their responsibility to, to make sure that you have self-esteem. I, I, that sounds a little harsh, but I, I just genuinely don't believe It's not their responsibility, but it is a choice if you want to use your platform and acknowledge the fact that many of us, of all genders, of all 
all types of people have self-esteem issues. I think most people have some sort of self-esteem issues. And the fact is, it's more about bringing up the fact that uh, it's not about making like making sure there's no none of these companies. It's about us looking inwards and saying like, what is this doing to us when we use these things? Is it changing us? Do we even notice that it's changing our perceptions of mm-hmm. ourselves? Are we f- feeding into this image that we think we need to be versus embracing who we are? I just I can't help but think of like what we talked about with Khloe Kardashian and when she was trying to get that photo offline that was leaked that she did not want online. And to be honest, like, it, you know, people try to get onto her and, and Katie Couric had said, well, yeah, you know, it all these things do and your Instagram does kind of promote unrealistic body standards and it's just like why are y'all putting that much responsibility on these people like they're clearly already kind of going on through their own journey and their own way of thinking about their own body but like the idea of like being pissed at someone because they don't want a photo on them that they don't think that represents them wholeheartedly i I just can't help but think about the the responsibilities and the intense uh intenseness that we put on celebrities to basically be these role models are these like morality leaders and it's just it makes no sense to me because at the end of the day if you are teaching your child or the next generation to, to love themselves, that's where it really starts. Don't look at, you know, Rihanna or Beyonce and think, oh my God, I need to look like them because that's just, that's their own process. It's not Rihanna's or Beyonce's responsibility to make make sure Ryan or Shira feels good about themselves. Get your ass in therapy. Uh, yeah, but that's then it's, also, it's also that a lot of these celebrities do have access to uh, lots of money to take because care of themselves. Because they worked hard for it. I, I totally am not, I'm they not saying they're not, they haven't, it. but in the end, these they do become role models, and by the no, way, they don't. as as quickly they, they as you're saying this right now, because we put them. Well, in yeah, that but role as model as state. quickly as you say this right now, you are quick to when a celebrity does something that they that is wrong. You're saying like they they should know their responsibility being who they are. When I say that, I, it's when it's like in cases of saying something stupid about you know being you know the vaccine or COVID or something that Why we talked about matter? when it They're comes just to person saying something. I mean, stupid. when it comes like to a lot of people, when it comes to like civil rights or when it comes to to like making sure you're not using your platform and to to spread false information about COVID nineteen that's actually killing people. I'm sorry, editing Self, editing wait, yourself wait to second. look different is not self esteem issues is killing a lot of people. You know how many people have bulimia and anorexia? But and all is these that things? the is that the responsibility of a of a celebrity? No, I don't think Lizzo's t- saying. She's just saying I'm, I'm just able saying, to share general, my story. I'm talking about the bigger picture. I think of a celebrity us putting all of this this you know all of this energy on a celebrity saying that you have to make sure that you, you know, that I need to look like you and you make sure that I feel good about myself. It's just not I realistic. don't think in this case she's saying that. She's saying, I'm like you. I, I do with case, these things too. I guess you kind of missed my point. My case was about the Khloe Kardashian of it. I said this reminded me of this, Got right? It. When we're talking about unre- unrealistic body beauty standards, most of the time the Kardashians are involved in those I think that we've had unrealistic beauty standards since Marilyn Monroe. Every generation every type of celebrity has you know that becomes the beauty standard and so yeah it's not just about the talent they've been put into that space it's about all of us as a society saying do we yeah of course accept ourselves and i think right talent and don't bully the celebrity because they look good and they want to are becoming also more honest about their own journeys with that and i don't think they're happy either and they don't like feeling pressured and they're also a human exactly so why put those people in this role model position when they didn't ask to be that 
I think that's uh, what I'm I saying. Think a lot of them are proud to be role models. No, Rihanna has spoken so much about hating the idea of being a role model. Demi Lovato is doing another series about her whole thing of like you know subjecting and her overdose because people put that on her. I think she. I think are she you? chose. I think we could say she, she chose, chose what to share her story because that's part of her healing. Yeah, but she also said if you watch the documentary, she also said that the unrealistic standards of kind of being on this pedestal, being like, oh my god, I'm, I have to be sober, I have to color in between the lines, that put extra pressure on herself, and that's how we ended up being in a position of her almost dying in another overdose. So that role model, you know, perspective is just not cute, and it's killing also celebrities. I think it's a, it's a choice because it's so funny how you want to be a role model. It sounds like you're blaming someone with their addiction issues. When when you want to be a role model, you take it on a role model. When you don't because it's too much responsibility, you want it to be over. So I think we each have an ability, whether you're a celebrity or quote unquote a regular person to be a role model. I don't know. That that sounds a little heartless to be quite honest. But we got to get out of here. It's actually giving a like, it's giving um, it's giving power to everyone, whether you're a quote-unquote celebrity or a person who is know. an older sister. You are a role The fact model. that you're like saying that she kind of put herself into that situation is kind of harsh to say. See, I meant about her documentary. I'm just saying. Not into I'm just saying. You got to be Let clear. us know what you think. We love these conversations. We are hot up this Friday at LGT Shows where you can find us on social media. We usually end this quickly, but sorry, we kind of messed up. We have to go. We need to go. The owner of the world-famous Abby joins us at 425 p.m. Pacific, 725 p.m. Eastern. Stick around to hear more about how they're making their post-COVID comeback next. In this hour coming up, we're going to be talking about the heavy financial burden of going on Drag Race. This conversation was so much fun. We got into the ins and outs of the money side of Drag Race. Yeah, and uh, we're doing it right on time because the finale of Drag Race comes on tonight um, where they crown a queen. And so super excited for that. So stick around, listen to that, and then go watch the finale. Or continue to listen to us, you know. Commercial breaks. They exist for a reason. Yes, that conversation's in 30 minutes. Plus, so excited because right after what's turning this hour, we have the founder, owner of the Abbey joining us. And he's going to be talking about David Cooley, what they're doing as they move into the, you know, life and reopening after the pandemic. They barely survived. It was really sad. But we're so happy that they are still here. But first, let's do some what's trending this hour. So the benefits of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine outweigh the risks. Of course, we knew it was all put on hold. And it's going to be resumed for anyone over the age of 19 with no warnings added. And that was announced today. So in case you are worried about getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, don't worry. Uh, An examination of more than 7 million vaccines found a total of 15 women faced uh, blood clots after they were inoculated, including three who died. Five patients were discharged and seven remain hospitalized. And 13 cases occurred in women between the ages of 18 and 49. Two others were over 50. No cases were found in men. What's the deal? Anyway, with that said, it is safe, so they are moving forward to allow people to have the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so we have some celebrating to do. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Um, Singer Kalani, uh, she has officially come out as a lesbian in a new TikTok video. Um, Here is a little bit of that. It's kind of like a funny video because she's like basically announcing it to the world. And yeah, I just, I love her. Here, Here she is. And they're like, Kalani, what's new? And I'm like, I finally know I'm a lesbian. Well, it's true. I am gay, 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 gay. 
But now my thing is, right, like, when I want to have these, like, heart-to-heart to my family and my friends, and I'm like, guys, <laughs> I finally know that I'm, a, that I'm gay. Like, I'm gay, gay. And they're like, we know. Duh. Stupid. Like, duh. So, um, yeah, basically she was saying about, you know, she really wanted to have this big old moment with her family. But instead her family was like, yeah, girl, we know. And the the closet you've been living in is made out of glass. We (laughs) saw right through it. Um, Which is hilarious. And, you know, she's um, been very outspoken about her journey and just trying to figure herself out and has a beautiful, beautiful baby girl. And I just love her a lot. And we play her here on Channel Q sometimes. So shout out to Kalani. But that's your tea report. I do have some good news, though. Mm. We're doing this really fun thing for all of our listeners because Las Vegas is opening for business. And Channel Q is giving you the chance to get down to business poolside with, what is his name again? Tiesto. Tiesto. I don't know why I can't pronounce that. It's like so weird. I, well, I don't know that who That and um, there's another artist that you and- who? I don't know. Well, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com for your chance to win a trip to Las Vegas, including round-trip airfare for two and an epic two-night stay at the all-new Resorts World Las Vegas. Plus, of course, we're throwing in two VIP passes um, because guess what? There's a day club at the Resorts World Las Vegas. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com to find out all of the information. I'm trying to remember. I'll remember the name of that artist. You always mess up. I love it. Okay, coming up, so excited to have the founder of The Abbey joining us right now. Uh, after this, David Cooley is going to share more about what he's doing to celebrate the 30th anniversary on May 24th and how you can get involved. That's next. We all have good memories of the world-famous Abbey in West Hollywood. Lots of good times, let me tell you. And they are celebrating 30 years on May 24th. 30 years. And joining us right now, we are honored to have the owner and founder of the Abbey, David Cooley, joining us. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having us, for having me. And hello to all your listeners. And yes, we are celebrating 30 years of the Abbey West Hollywood. Well, one of those years was uh, the launch of Channel Q. And mm-hmm. we had our, our beautiful uh, party out there, and you were just so just amazing. You've always really been so supportive of what we stand for here at Channel Q and allowed us to have so many amazing events at the Abbey. How has 30 years been for you? Has it gone by as fast as you you thought it would? Um, It's gone by really, really quick. I've seen in 30 years being a – being – on this corner, um, and through what we have gone through when we open up, of course, unfortunately, we were dealing with the AIDS crisis, um, and then you know we we all the bad points of uh, the AIDS crisis, the, the the riots and the fires, the the current uh, virus, um, the uh, it, we've seen it all, but we made it. it it's been really difficult. Um, but, you know, out of that, it is a lot more incredible, incredible memories. And uh, we're here for 30 years because of um, um, the amazing city of West Hollywood and, and especially my employees and especially, especially the customers who I, are, are like family to so many of us. And it's, West Hollywood's always been a place known to be a safe haven, and the Abbey has just been an extended arm to that. Uh, 
so people know that what the Abbey is is just not go-go boys and go-go girls and good food and big, heavy, poor drinks, but a place where you could be yourself and come and, and, and be who you are and really have fun. Definitely. And it was very scary because so many uh, bars and restaurants have closed for the LGBTQ plus community. And um, we were even scared that the Abbey at a certain point was going to shut down. I mean, you were hitting up a, a lot of shows uh, sharing that. And, but you're here. You have come out on the other end. How does that feel? And how have you been throughout it? Um, a great question. Um, you know, during, we, we closed a few days before the, the state mandate because uh, actually I FaceTimed people in London, Barcelona and Rome and saw them completely shut down. And I said, this is this is going to be bad. So during that that last 15 months, we have opened and closed four times. Um, it's been extremely difficult. Uh, the health department at sometimes will give us hours of notice of closing and, you know, being a small business, you order, you know, $40,000 worth of produce and meats and, 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 you know, pastries and so forth. And then in four hours, you're shut down for 33 days. So um, I have to admit a couple of times that I didn't think we would make it. Um, you know, the, the, definitely the PPP loan helped us. Um, I made sure, uh Thank God I had a little equity line that none of my employees miss a rent, uh, a mortgage payment, a car payment, an electric bill. Uh, they had food. And I think what got us through was really, as you see, some of these large corporate restaurant chains closing for good, uh, as well as the small, small little bars that cater to our community is that we run our business not as a big corporate uh, business, but as a family business. So that supported it. And, and, and it, it breaks my heart to see some of these small, you know, LGBTQ friendly bars that aren't making it and didn't make it. And you're know, talking to my liquor vendors, 40 percent of bars with licenses had clo- have been closed and won't reopen in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, the ABC, the Alcohol Beverage Control, has been extremely, extremely supportive to small businesses. I would never think in 30 years that I could go out on my street on Robinson Boulevard um, and have drinks, or I could tell you two margaritas to go with uh, your burger. Um, and, and they've been extremely supportive. So yes, there is a light out at the, t- uh, at the end of the tunnel. Um, tonight is our first night. The health department stopped in and said, we're allowed entertainment, no dancing, but I'm going to have my resident DJ Donna Montel here and our famous go-go boys and go-go girls dancing for the first night in 15 months. So, of course, I have a huge smile on my face right now. Yes. Shots. So, uh, I guess the 24th of May is the anniversary, 30 years. What can people expect also uh, for that and moving forward? Well, we really can't plan anything. Of course, when I throw a party, I throw a party. I mean, I, I bring in symphonies to... 60 dancers to, I, I bring it in. And right now we're still under the health department guidelines. So until we really can open up and I could throw a party like I, the Abbey is known for, uh, we're, you know, as long as it's in this year, um, we're just going to wait because I want to make sure people remember the Abbey 30th anniversary. All right. Well, that was David Cooley, owner, founder of the Abbey. Thank you again. Congratulations. And we hope to see you there very soon. Stay safe and hope to see you in for a martini soon. Yes.
That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great night and weekend. Congrats. Coming up, competing on drag races become more and more expensive. We dive into how that has impacted contestants over the years and the future of the show next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Show me what you got. Yeah. Drag race stars are starting to be more open about how much they've invested in their shows and in being featured on the show, spending their life savings for the attention and the chance to win. Rachel Miller wrote about this topic in Vice in an article called Inside the Heavy Financial Burden of Going on Drag Race. She's the deputy editor of Vice Life and author of The Art of Showing Up, How to Be There for Yourself and Your People. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Good, now that we played that. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I got to say, great piece, by the way, because I have been waiting for a journalist to tackle this topic because I'm a huge fan of Drag Race. I'm I'm a, like avid follower most of the queens to be quite honest and we've had them here on the show but the one thing that stays consistent is the amount of money gradually as each season um comes out it gets more expensive yeah i'm I'm so glad you like the piece and like you i'm a fan and i just watch with such curiosity because you can tell if you go to their instagrams after the each episode you can see their tagging designers and you know this stuff isn't cheap and you can start to do the math and really wonder okay how much is this actually costing them yeah and it's gotten much uh more expensive as the years have gone on bob the drag queen said in your article brand of the show uh yes he spent 3k when he was on but now that would be like probably he would spend 20 to 40k Uh, so does that change the accessibility of even competing on the show Yeah, I'm sure it does. Right. And it's hard because we don't really get to talk to the people who don't compete on the show. Although um, somebody retweeted the article and said they have a couple of friends who didn't even go through with the the process of auditioning because they didn't think they could afford it, which is a bummer to hear. But of course, that's going to be a consideration. And obviously, there are people who who don't have a lot to spend and who go for it. But there's surely more who we never get a chance to meet who just are like, I just don't, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I could never do something like that. It's too big of a risk. And the interesting thing is I want to know how much do you think the fandom plays into this? Because I do think, and we, and you wrote about it in your article, how Evie was always said that she looked like the cheap looking queen or, you know, looked like she got her stuff out the garbage. And do you think fans kind of encourage that? Like the more expensive you look, the more support, you get? I think it's really interesting because there's two things happening at once. And I think there are, uh, you know, there is a focus on looks and you do see people sort of fawning over the fashion queens and, and loving that and sort of celebrating it. But then I also see a lot of fans on Twitter, on Reddit, wherever talking about how they don't really like the focus on money and on looks and they, they feel like it's unfair. So I can't really tell exactly what the, the overwhelming thought is, but I think it's kind of a mixed bag. But absolutely, the, the pressure to be a look queen and to not get called cheap by both fans and judges is going to come into play. Like people who've been watching the show see those comments and, have, and of course, they internalize them before they go on. Yeah. yeah. And like, would it help if the show at least provided them with a budget? Do they? Mm. They don't provide them with a budget. Um, one of the people who I talked to, Aquarius, said she didn't really think it was a good idea for the show to provide a budget because she ultimately was kind of like, I don't think it will solve the problem that, you know, people who already have money will just have more and people who, you know, so it won't necessarily even the playing field. And and she kind of said, like, money doesn't buy you a win. It doesn't mean you have taste. So 
her feeling was it wouldn't solve the problem, which I thought was interesting. But obviously, we're hearing from a lot of fans asking why don't they provide a budget. So I kind of landed on, I think that's a good question. I'm not sure that I feel strongly that they should, you know, after talking to Aquaria. But I also think it would be interesting to think about some kind of structure that's a little bit more like a book advance where you essentially get a loan that you have to pay back out of your future royalties. And I wonder if something like that would make sense here. I will say the bright side of this, yes, it is very expensive, but I do think a lot of like kind of unknown designers get a huge spotlight on them. Um, Absolutely. Talk a little bit about that because you talked to some of the designers who actually designed for the Queens. Yeah, it was so fun to talk to them. And I'm actually hoping to do a separate piece just talking to designers about what it's like to design for Drag Race because, you know, they don't get a ton of credit on the show. Like their best bet is on Instagram after the fact. And like, that's great. But, you know, talking to somebody who's made wigs for so many winners who, you know, Trixie and Alaska were both wearing his wigs when they were crowned. I mean, that's a huge deal. And not a lot of people know who he is. And he talked a lot about, you know, what it's like when the fans don't like your work and they come for you. It just is a, there's a whole micro economy around this that I think is super interesting. But at the end of the day, they're, they're all creatives and they're super talented and they're putting their work out there and making really beautiful things. And I wish that they got a little bit more credit for it or like that they were more known because I think the work they do is fascinating and like it powers the show, the show that we all love. Yeah, definitely. And you did go into uh, how contestants prepare to go on Drag Race also in your piece. Ooh, that's actually quite interesting. Yeah, we should talk a little bit more about that. We're going to keep you after this. Yeah, so we're going to take a break and we'll be back with more of Drag Race after this. We are back with Rachel Miller, deputy editor of Vice Life and author of The Art of Showing Up. We're talking about her great piece on Vice.com about the heavy financial burden of going on Drag Race. Uh, So one of the things you uh, did find out is how contestants prepare to go on Drag Race. Was it anything that you didn't know? Were, Were you surprised about anything? The biggest thing that surprised me was just how little time they have to prepare. And I actually think that giving them more time to prepare might go a long way toward evening the playing field or making it less expensive. Because when you don't have a lot of time, you're going to spend money on speed, right? Like you don't have time to shop around for better deals or to make things. You're going to pay for expedited shipping on things. Like there's all these little things that will, you know, really start to add up. So I think just giving them a little bit more time and then maybe designating these are the looks for the runway and these are the looks for, you know, maxi challenges like a seg- you know, a reality TV segment or something like that so that they can kind of figure out what they should invest their time and money in, I think would probably help a lot. Did you hear about any stories from the queens about them helping each other out? Like, it's, you know, some queens are very close. And if one gets on Drag Race, I, I would imagine, I know Bob the Drag Queen and Monet Exchange, they talked about it on their podcast, Lovely Rivalry, about a moment where, you know, they Bob actually gave some money to Monet to help her prepare. And so I, I didn't know if that you you heard anything else about the sisterhood in that aspect. I did. Um, so Bendela Krem mentioned that she's really close with Jinx. And so she knew a lot of how to prepare because Jinx had kind of given her, you know, just a, a heads up about like kind of what to expect. So that was one thing. And then another thing that didn't make it into the final cut of the article was Heidi talking about how her season 12 sisters did so much for her. You know, I had seen Nikki Doll gave her a wig on the show, but she said a lot of the girls gave her stuff when they got eliminated. They would give her shoes or an outfit. Fit. And she said that the challenge that she won, she was wearing Britta's wig. So that like made it even more meaningful that she was, you know, been gift- had been gifted this wig. So I thought that was really just like remarkable and special. And, um, it, you know, it speaks to the, the fact that they saw her talent and they understood that she had a right to be there and they wanted to help her out when they couldn't win anymore. I thought that was great. 
I, I do wonder, though, how much RuPaul is going to kind of have to atone for some of this kind of thought process because I know this yeah. latest season of Drag Race UK, he went off on someone for wearing an H&M dress. And I was right, just I like, mean, what? Yeah, that was really remarkable. But the thing that surprised me was that both Edie Oddly and then Tom Fitzgerald, who I talked to from Tom and Lorenzo, they were both kind of like, I see where he was coming from. Like, mm. you know, the look wasn't creative. It wasn't inspired. And, you know, you should put glitter on it. And I, and I thought that was really interesting because that wasn't really the answer I was expecting. But Edie said, you know, I think that just putting an a H&M dress on doesn't really show your unique perspective. It's not about the money. It's about like who you are. And that dress didn't represent who you are. And I thought that was a pretty interesting take from somebody who is like very thoughtful about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what you do with it, right? It's not just like about the piece. It's like, why are you wearing it? Is there intention around it? Um, I guess what is like in the end, the takeaway, and you bring up this question, is going on drag race still worth it? Mm. You know, I, it is according to everyone who I talked to, but I wasn't able, I, I did a lot of outreach and I didn't get to talk to everyone who I would have liked to talk to. So I can't speak to the people who maybe got eliminated early and who don't think it's worth it. I talked to a lot of winners. They think it's worth it, obviously. Um, but I thought it was interesting that the winners weren't the ones who were spending the most money. So I think that it's like one of the things where you can win if you don't spend a lot of money, but you have to be super, super, super talented. And just not everyone is going to be. That's why there's only one winner at the end of the season. These are all exceptionally talented performers, to be clear, but they're trying to pick the best one. So I think to say, like, you can win without having money, probably not unless you're, like, uniquely talented, but then that's why they're a winner, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's, it's kind of a, a hard thing to nail down, but I, I hope I can uh, do a follow-up piece talking to maybe some other people who don't have such a rosy outlook. We'll see if they exist and if they want to talk or not. Yeah, you know, I feel like when people watch Drag Race, they think it's all fun and games, but I love pieces like this that really kind of analytically look at it through a critical lens, and, and we have the nuanced conversations about, like, the preparation and even the fandom mm-hmm. and, and the, mm-hmm. you know, the race and and how that plays into a part of it. So I hope more Drag Race content's coming from you because you're great. I hope so, too. I'm glad to hear that you like it. I, I love digging into this stuff. I love logistics, and especially as it applies to reality TV and reality shows I love. So I'm hoping to do more pieces on this, and I hope this is the first of many. Yes, hope to have you back on. Thank you again for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was Rachel Miller, deputy editor of Vice Life, author of The Art of Showing Up, How to Be There for Yourself and Your People. Now, coming up, Florida has advanced a bill that advocates say will out LGBTQ plus students. More on that next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Up this hour, Caitlyn Jenner officially has entered the California governor race as a Republican and Equality California is not having it. They join us in 15 minutes. A lot of people have a lot to say about this. But first, let's get into some What's Trending This Hour. Transgender advocates fear a bill passed by the Florida legislature will put LGBTQ plus youth at risk in the name of keeping parents more involved in decision making. It was marketed as a parental bill of rights and queer teens say the legislation, if signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis, will result in students being outed at home, even if that can result in abuse. Lakey Love uh, said safe spaces are being called into question with this bill. This is an attack on LGBTQIA plus students. Um, And thankfully, in other states, Republican governors have been vetoing a lot of anti-trans legislation. But this continues to happen and it will continue to be fought. And we'll continue to cover it here right on um, right here on Let's Go There on Channel Q. But that was a What's Trending This Hour quickie because we have a lot happening in the T-Report. What's going on, Ryan? So Lindsay Lohan's dad 
was just busted for basically um, allegedly steering addicts into rehab for cash. Yeah, it's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So he has been um, busted in Palm Beach for allegedly pocketing at least $25,000 in illegal kickbacks in return for steering addicts, including a woman he was sleeping with into a Florida drug treatment center. Um, basically, he keeps, you know, addresses. He has a house in Boca Raton in Southampton. Okay. Um, and he's been collecting bounties on addicts. He referred to the Pride Recovery Center in Delray Beach in 2017 and 2018, according to court documents. Uh, one of the addicts was a woman he referred to um, Pride Recovery while he was in a sexual relationship with her. Um, this is wild, actually. The woman, whose name is revealed only by the initials BM and court papers, basically Lohan received a May 4th check back in 2018 from Pride Recovery amounting to uh, $5,000. And so I guess he was kind of like that movie on Netflix. What? That recent movie about uh, that lady that was, I care a lot. Oh, oh my God. Yes, so with the kinda, old people. Yeah, so instead of in that movie, she was doing it with like senior citizen homes. Seems like he was doing it with rehab yeah. centers where he would get people to go to rehab centers and he would get uh, basically a referral fee. He'd be like, I know a lot of messed up people that need rehab. Let me help you out. This is going to be like my gold rush. And apparently... He's the 117th person busted in the ongoing Palm Beach County probe into illegal patient brokering, according oh. to Palm Beach County State Attorney uh, Dave Ehrenberg. And so this story is wild. I I mean, I don't know how he's going to get himself out of this one. Um, but yeah, I, I, this story is going to continue to v- develop. And I mean, what's some juicy tea? That's the tea report. The drama with the low hands never ends, it seems. We're wrapping up our show with some positivity, as we always do, with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. In a first, the White House plans to provide American Sign Language interpretation for President Biden's address to Congress next week. Awesome. On Wednesday, Biden plans to deliver his first major speech to a joint session of Congress, uh, which in other years would typically be referred to as the State of the Union address. Wow. Yeah, that was supposed to be a long time ago. But he's doing it, and it's amazing that he is providing ASL and that this is becoming something uh, that's normal, that is always in his speeches, whether it be um, in this one or others that he does. I mean, it's actually shocking that this is a first. Yep. Because, I mean, there's been plenty of presidents on television, and no one's thought about this. So, yeah, it's, it's really good to see this administration doing something... Uh, continuously doing things where they're just making their spaces more inclusive for everyone. And actually, it was a practice that began last year following a lawsuit. Mm, Yeah. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, during the uh, Trump administration, of course. Uh, But that gets our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. If you want to nominate anyone or an organization, hit us up. We love to feature your ideas on the show and also on Yes Queen. At LGT Show is where you can find us on social media. Slide into our DMs. Now, we are back Monday, weekdays, here on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. On the show Monday, we're going to talk about what the Biden administration is doing to protect trans individuals in homeless shelters. Plus, why the question of what flag you can put in front of your house is being debated right now. 
That's on Monday's show. And if you miss any of our shows this week or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Join our podcast family. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Have a great weekend and stick around for What's Poppin' with DJ Alex D right after this on Channel Q.